What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 52 of Ben Nabuzi here on the HHH Racing Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Roscoe, and what a great show we have for you coming up today as we handicap the late pick five of the opening weekend of the winter and spring Oakland meet, uh, one meet that everyone looks forward to um, for reasons I'll talk about in a little bit. But of course, just great racing, great fields, of course, no turf racing, but they make for, they make up for it in all the different types of bets and the big fields that you get at Oakland Park. Guys, again, thank you guys so much for all joining in. Greatly appreciate it. We had a lot of people waiting to get in tonight. So, again, really appreciate it. We're going to go over just the peripherals real quick before we move on. If you see scrolling on the bottom side of the screen, please go below to be a player. Hit that big red subscribe button. And while you're there, hit the like button. Hit the bell notification icon so you never miss any single episode that's posted to the HHH Racing Podcast Network. And also, it helps us out a lot, pushes this video and others out into the YouTube algorithm to hopefully get more people to join the HHH Racing Podcast family. So please go down below, like, comment, and subscribe. And comment if you're watching after this video goes live. Um, if you're watching after the fact, please comment your opinions as we respond to every single comment below and would love to hear who you like for this Saturday. Also scrolling at the bottom of the screen, you'll show our next, our next show is tomorrow. Of course, Howard, Pete and Paul from the flagship show will be covering the late pick three, the $3 late pick three, which is an offering at Gulfstream park for the championship meet. And they're recapping the Remsen stakes for the, uh, the Kentucky Derby podcast future of Sierra Leone who ran monstrous, around the outside in the Remsen Stakes and almost and only just lost to uh, uh, re-rallying Doorknock on the inside, although I have a sneaking suspicion that might be the last time Doorknock beats Sierra Leone or so we hope. Guys, watch that tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And there's going to be a few things that I want to touch on, but of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchors, where you find every single thing Um Every single audio plat, um, every single episode posted on the HHH Racing Podcast Network, all in audio form. If you are at work or at the gym or whatever, and you want to listen to these podcasts, audio works great. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchors, where you find those. Power Picks, of course, still going every single weekend. We are still in the green all time. I believe it's 450 picks now, and we are still above the ROI, the positive ROI mark by. 20 cents again the average is a dollar 60 we are over 60 we're almost 60 cents over that mark and last year we are 60 cents over the mark just in or a dollar over that mark so again anytime is a great time to get involved but we are selling um actually yeah we are still selling it all the way through there's no stops uh patreon.com slash hhh racing podcast for that and if you want to catch any previous editions of the Power Picks you want to see what it looks like or anything about us or how to contact us, hhhracingpodcast.com is where you do that. But real quick, guys, I want to touch on here that we will actually not be having a show next week. We're going to take a little bit of off for the holidays, and then we will be back covering big cards come Christmas weekend. Um, you know, a lot of us are going home. We're flying home for Christmas so we are going to take next week off, but keep an eye out the week afterwards, the week of Christmas, because you will see another episode, of course, come out for Ben and Boozin. Thank you guys all for joining the show. We're going to go through some stuff, but I want to bring my my podcast co-hosts on first, of course, from the West Coast, West Coast bias himself, Noah Maher, the um, Cotton Bowl legend, Charlie Freeman, and 
Patrick Council from the East Coast. Boys, what's going on? How are we doing? Not too much. That was a low blow. That was a low blow. I had <laughs> you. You weren't here to get it last week. I got to give it to you this week now. But um, right, look, I mean, we got some fa- a ton of fantastic college football playoff games that we'll also be talking about tonight. Um, it's, we're going to talk about uh, Oakland's late pick five for about the first 40 to 45 minutes of the show. At least that's the target. And then we will be going into the college football playoff and all those different scenarios um, through there. But I'm going to um, go over some things. Again, I said no show next week. And the Power Picks tip sheet, even though we are not having a show, it is still going to be get out coming out to you guys again. We don't stop for the power picks on the HHH racing podcast. But however, we will, the podcast will be taking a week off next week and um, there will be a yearly or annual subscription also available and you'll get a full month free of the power picks. Go check that out again. That all is on Patreon and there's also a way to switch your annual um, picks. But if you're on the email list for Howard, he already sent that out to you again, patreon.com slash HHH racing podcast but guys i'm i'm very excited because this is the first time we've had the group the gang together in a long time um all four of us on the screen at once and i mean what better show to do it for considering how big this show is with the opening of oakland park and of course college football coming up this weekend gonna go over some comments guys then we'll get right into it ralph conti is here and that's the other big news that happened today guys uh patrick up in the neck of the woods of course they're uh Belmont has been the Belmont has been moved to Saratoga and they're running it shorter at a mile and a quarter. I'm sure the guys will also talk about it tomorrow, but you know, it's a big change. It's got a lot of people kind of polarized on, and I think it's just due to Saratoga and Patrick, I'll let you expand on this a little bit because you'll have a little bit more expertise, but um, I think they just can't, they have a hard time running a mile and a half races at Saratoga, which is what I would assume is the uh, issue and why they're moving it back to the championship distance of a mile and a quarter, but yeah, it should be an absolutely great four days of racing. But Patrick, like I said, we'll let you expand a little more while I go through this. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's awesome. You know, talk about they're doing like a festival type of thing, which they normally do at Belmont, but they'll bring it up to Saratoga, which, you know, is going to be great because, you know, everybody's just going to head up there for four days and then leave. And then it's going to be, you know, non-existent for a month and then everybody's going to come back. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm sure a lot of people aren't going to want to leave to have to come yeah. back, but that's, um, you know, that's what they have to do. And listen, if w- I hate to say it, I'm happy it's at Saratoga and it's not at a- Aqueduct. So it's, you know, it's, it's a good alternative. <laughs> in my opinion. No, of course it's a good alternative. I mean, Saratoga, you're going from um, the, going from a modernized Belmont, what's becoming a modernized Belmont to now the most historic race place. In, I mean, it's especially all of New York, if not in all the United States. So, guys, it's, it's going to be a very interesting thing. We'll see how they come about it. But Ralph Conti, of course, booking his room. Nice four days of racing. Absolutely. Katie is here. Thanks so much for joining the show. Mike Lawson, and there they go. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man, for joining the show. Steven Vanderbrook, good evening. I'll smash that like button. Steven Vanderbrook, this is why you're one of the most astute. Please smash that like button. Everybody greatly appreciate it. Racing Downwind, of course, is here. I don't know. Are you still in Japan racing downwind? If you are, you're up pretty damn. Or no, it's probably in the morning over there already for you. Thanks so much for doing the show, racing downwind. Greatly appreciate it. Paul Conlin is here, of course, the North Dakota man. Thanks so much, Paul, for joining the show. Brings Christmas early. Absolutely. Happy holidays to you, Paul, as well. And everyone, Michael, I'll get to your pick five later in the show, but I appreciate you sending it in. Of course, the boss is here as well. Guys, we're going to get into it real 
real quick here as we cover the late pick five at Oakland, which starts in race number six, starts right off with a listed stake. The ring, the bell stakes for 150,000 sprinting six furlongs, of course, on the Oakland Durtons. I bring it up the PPs right now. Does I get there? There we go. As it draws a field of a nine with the most likely morning line favorite, I would completely assume to be the number six Tejano twist, the Oakland park legend, as I like to call him Landeros Hartman, um, probably second choice, I would assume, would be Rivet for Keith and Steve Asmussen. And then after that, guys, it's kind of getting a little bit into the weeds. Osborne won a good one last time. Um, Necker Island has been pretty good as of late. There's a lot of different ones for the buying choices. And, of course, guys, um, as we are doing this show for Saturday, we do not have morning lines or numbers in the program, for that matter, to give you. So I under- I apologize if, if it is going to be a little bit harder to keep um to keep track of which horse and which number we're talking about but i'll try to do my best to bring that up but i'll bring up the picks right now guys and we are all not trying to get cute right off the bat here guys we are all going with the number six tejano twist and underneath we all have the number seven rivet which obviously we're not it's the second choice we're not trying to get cute here this almost looks like almost a two-horse race it could be in my opinion um, there we have a lot of variation underneath two of the one. I, uh, Patrick has the four, I have the five, but, um, Noah, since you're right under me, man, I'll let you go first here with the, um, like I said, the Moreland favorite, the uh, moto obvious kind of horse here for, and he runs really well at Oakland to Hano twist. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing that I'm, you know, kind of keying in on. I don't know a lot about Oakland. Um, so I kind of give a, a little bit of credit to, to, uh, horses that have done well there. Um, you look back at his uh, his races at Oakland uh, in the winter and the spring, uh, and has popped some some really nice numbers uh, all the way even up to a 101. Um, and he kind of proved, you know, that he still got it last time uh, off the layout, uh, running another 101. Um, and then you you just look at the form lines. You got a lot of horses that are very well known and very talented, um, and other horses uh, that you know have that italicized, so they've come back and won. Um, yeah, it's not anything creative. Uh, Chris Hartman's had the horse work at Oaklawn. Um, so, you know, pretty moto obvious, as you said, and I'm sure you guys thought the same thing. I mean, I'll go to you guys below here uh, for a quick, and I'll let you, um, I'll let Charlie and Patrick talk about their under choices here. But, I mean, look, just moto obvious. Oaklawn has been a friendly, especially um, these past few meets where I've really gotten into Oaklawn. Because I'll be completely honest, before these past two meetings, last winter meeting and then, um, of course, ending in the spring, I re- or last meeting, I guess I never really played Oaklawn, and um, I noticed that because then um, once I started to play Oaklawn, it's very uh, wagering friendly. Um, it has low takeout across the board. It's not necessarily they won't boast the lowest takeout on you know any of their bets, but they're all within that fifteen to seventeen percent takeout on all the win play show pick four pick five pick three everything across the board is friendly for the players so and of course as gamblers we like to get as much money as we can for our dollars so oakland is a very favorable track to play for the player and i've got into it and um i've loved it i've loved playing oakland um it has been known to be a little bit favorable to closers on the dirt they have a longer stretch um with a mile and an eighth oval i'm and i mean it just bodes completely well for tano twist really the only time tano twist does not finish is when no one really goes too fast in front of him and 
Charlie, I'll go to you next. There looks to be a pretty decent amount of pace in this race. Yeah, no, exactly my thought process. And, you know, I've always kind of, as you kind of touched on, which works nicely for me, been biased towards those closers. But look, this is a horse we've covered in the past. I believe we actually covered this horse uh, yep. when Scully ended up winning, which was a little bit of an upset, but I think was a horse we had all kind of touched on could possibly win because I think Skelly was one of those horses that, as you mentioned, kind of was on the lead and got away. Uh, but yeah, that was my angle as well. I just ultimately think there's too much pace in this race. Um, and honestly, I feel like the only way you're maybe beating Tejano Twist is if there's a stalker in this race that maybe gets a little earlier of a jump and maybe Tejano Twist can't quite get there in time. But from what I'm seeing, all everything kind of indicates, A, obviously this horse loves Oakland Park, and B, uh, that Tejano Twist is back on form. You know, not that there was any sort of significant dip with that, you know, 90, uh, 98 and the loss to Skelly is nothing to be embarrassed about. But, you know, you kind of wonder after that 101, did this horse peak? And, you know, is this where the decline starts? Uh, but obviously after that with the 100, the 97, the 101, it looks like Chris Hartman has Tejano Twist right back, uh, you know, where to where you want Tejano Twist to be. And uh, seems like the obvious horse to beat. Again, this is a decent field, but I just think Tejano Twist loves the track, is the class of the field. And looks to be right back on the form that we, you know, used to like in the past where you see this horse getting bet down heavy, especially running against other solid competition. I mean, Patrick, I'll go to you next. I mean, racing down brings up a good point. Top Gunner, who's the four, who you have in second, looks to be that kind of speed. The speed, there is a lot, there's a decent amount of speed to his outside, maybe not as fast as Top Gunner, but obviously since we all have Tejano Twist on top, we're really hoping for that. And then obviously I'll let you talk about Rivet as well, who you have in third. Yeah, so with Top Gun or two, I know Noah hit on it, you know, with um, if the horse likes a specific track, and that's Top Gunner likes Oaklawn, yep. you know, won three times on Oaklawn, has been in the money five of six, um, and, you know, like Racing Downwind said, it's going to be the uh, speed of the speed, even though there is a ton, this horse could get loose. Um, so I, I think it's interesting in his face tougher, you know, is definitely faced some tough competition. I mean, I know Hoist the Gold won last out, and uh, yep. Nakatomi ran pretty big in the um, – in one of the Breeders' Cup races, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Mr. Um, Gold obviously just won the Cigar Mile, and Nakatomi ran third in the Breeders' Cup sprint behind Elite Power and Gun Knight. I wouldn't say that's very bad co uh, company to be in as well. Yeah, and then, um, you know, with Rivet, uh, Rivet's, you know, very consistent. You know, um, I I think Rivet will hit the board. I, I just, I don't know, you know, I don't know exact. I, I don't think Rivet's as good as Teano Twist, and I just think my second choice, uh, um, top gunner is going to, is going to run big. So I, I didn't, I, I really don't know what to do with rivet. I, I, I'll let you guys speak on rivet a little bit more because I, I just don't have a strong opinion. Yeah, no, I'll let you finish up here. Um, like the horses, the outside, I hope go, uh, cattle river has been, uh, quick er, earlier in his career. Hasn't been seen as of late on the top end, but sir Wellington is going to be that horse to press a horse like top gunner. Maybe not as fast, but obviously that's our hope. And Rivet is not slow by any means, although it did show the ability to rate last time out. But you have the number one, Osborne, in third, and so does Charlie. Charlie has him in second. I mean, look, ran a massive one last time. Hasn't really been seen since, there you go, at Oakland in 100,000 non-winners non of uh, two lifetime. And maybe he can run back to that, but he is going to have to improve a little bit on the numbers side. Yeah, he probably is. Um, once again, a horse, you know, that's done well at Oaklawn. Um, I just think, you know, with Osborne, um, he's shown the ability to kind of uh, be a little bit versatile. Um, so, you know, if, if the pace is too hot, he can kind of come from bar, far back. Or if mm -hmm. it's you know, not, if, if we get some cold numbers, he can, you know, kind of stalk right off of it. Um, 
I, I think, you know, Leperu got the, the chance to kind of get to know him last time. Um, and Moquette uh, brings him down here and worked him at Oakland, you know, running a bullet and, and 48 and two. Um, so, you know, w- with all the speed that you guys touched on, I think, you know, one that's going to be closing. Well, you know, and that's what, you know, Charlie said is if there's one horse that can get the jump, where are you looking on a horse like Town of Twist? Osborne fits that bill, especially from that last race. You know, you touched on that he has a lot of tactical speed and can sit wherever he kind of desires. And on the rail, Leperu, if Leperu decides to, you know, send him up like he did last time, I think Osborne could be that horse um, that could get a jump on a, on a closer like Tejano twist, but we're going to move on real quick here, guys. Six, seven, five for me. Noah's going six, seven, one. Patrick's going six, four, seven. Charlie's going six, one, seven. Switching over to the race number seven, guys. And all these races at Oakland, they're all over a hundred thousand dollar races. That was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar stake race. This is an allowance for a hundred and forty thousand dollars. Like it's just, it's amazing money over there at Oakland and amazing racing. The entire meet again, $140,000 allowance, six furlongs on the dirt, full field of 12 with one also eligible. Morningland favorite this race, guys, is a lot, um, a lot more in the weeds, I guess you could say. Then, uh, I'm not even fully sure who's going to be the morning, the Morningland favorite set here. Um, they will have definitely a job to do on this one, but I'll switch over the picks right now. And you can see that's reflected by our picks, guys. We are all over the place realistically at least on top we have a lot of similarities underneath but on top we have four different horses charlie i'll let you go first you have a horse who i find really interesting illinois bred um and illinois racing legend scott becker franklin arietta takes the mound for megan's honor the number nine horse who you have on top and again i'm also interested in in second patrick has him him in third what'd you like most about megan's honor yeah, so I mean, for starters, obviously, I mean, I know the works are dated, but uh, which I guess you could argue is a little bit of a concern, but that the dated works still were positive for me. Uh, really, it's just the consistent progression, though, that you've been seeing for Megan's honor. You know, the horse was kind of stalling out, hit those low 80s, and then went into the high 70s, and you're, you know, starting to wonder, okay, is that it for this horse? You know, did we find the peak of this horse? Is Megan's honor just have nowhere else to go? And now, you know, at six years old, does this horse tail off? And instead, it was the complete opposite. Rips a career buyer best back-to-back, which we've talked about as a great angle. And then sure enough, is something, again, we've touched on plenty of times on this show. After that best buyer back-to-back takes that step forward, ideally, and the horse did. You know, goes out and wins. Go. I understand the horse was 70 cents on the dollar, but still sits off the pace by three lengths puts up a 90 and goes away, goes, wins going away by five. I also just like the versatility in this horse. You know, you see earlier in Megan's honors career would kind of like to sit right behind the leaders, but then you see last time out in the race before that, uh, you know, these last three races is kind of switched to more of a stalking trips and a few weeks off and then going right by. So for me, I like that versatility. Uh, again, I think a stalking trip is kind of ideal uh, for this distance and uh, course. Um, and again, I just like the continued progression. I think Megan Zahner could take another step forward in a race that's so wide open as well. I think you could certainly, you know, without having a super well-known trainer or jockey, I don't think there's anything that would make you think that you couldn't get decent enough value and also in a field this big. I think Megan Zahner is certainly a horse to consider that you can get great value on. Yeah, I mean, look, the horse, it's the trip for sure. Patrick, I mean, realistically, it's just for me, it's the form if it trances over from FanDuel sports, sports book and horse racing in the uh, beautiful town of St. Louis. But I mean, 
look, ran well last a little slow on the numbers, but ran well last year at Oakland Park and 104,000 N1X. I mean, this horse can class to Oakland, but just really hasn't been able to put pack that winning punch. Um, that you've seen in these pat are uh, as these past few years have shown for Megan's honor. Yeah, and that's you know it's fun. I'm impressed that you know FanDuel Sportsbook that you know where it is. That's great. Uh, no, but <laughs> yeah. it's dude. It's that's the, the Illinois racing man. Come on. Yeah. Um, you know, it, the horse is interesting. You know, six six years old. I know the boss wouldn't be a big fan of that. Um, but I, you know, <laughs> that's where I um actually I'm gonna say circle back to Jack. Uh, because I I just think the ten. You know, this is just an interesting spot. Uh two turf races last time. And then previous to that one on the dirt, both times, um, obviously, um, lower ranked fields. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, tactics wise, this horse is very tactical can, you know, it has shown speed in the past, but can, uh, can, uh, stalk in a spot that, you know, it looks to be wide open with our picks. Um, and, and that's why I landed on the 10. Yeah. I mean, in the 10, obviously you could touch on circle back, Jack, um, a little more who Charlie has second as well. So, you know, not the only thing I have a stat on, uh, on Garcia for, um, for you guys, but I mean, look, who ran great on the dirt in Indiana, maybe a little slow on the numbers, but I mean, not by far off of it. And this horse, a four-year-old has a lot of chance to improve, maybe coming back on the dirt, Patrick. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, I just, like I questioned, you know, the two turf, I, I, I seem to always question that. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that too. It just, you know, um, this horse has proven on the dirt and then they, f- uh, flip to the turf. Like, I, I just don't understand that sometimes. And that's why I think this is one of those spots where you might get good value with this horse. Yeah. And you know, that little dirtied up form kind of thing is what, you know, a lot of us try to find in horses like this, where you might get a better price. Honestly. I mean, cause obviously he ran really well on the turf in the summer. Yeah. Um, I mean, he can run on either surface, so I think it's just kind of whatever condition fits him more. I mean, all according to Hanaro um, Garcia, but circle back Jack is not out of it completely. But um, for Hanaro Garcia, just out, obviously you see he's a 17% trainer. I believe it was at Oaklawn was the stat I wanted to show. So, yeah, he's so out of 287 starts, he only wins at 10% with 32% in the money as opposed to winning, you know, 18% and 17% everywhere else. So that's one thing to keep in mind that shipping to Oakland maybe isn't Bernard Garcia's best um, best way to go, but definitely could be. I mean, look, the horse has numbers and the horse fits based on trip. It's just a matter of can he be good enough to run and class up to Oakland. No, I'm going to go to you, my friend, because you're interested in the horse that I have on top. Patrick and Charlie have them nowhere. They have the same top three. You have the number three T Burns, I believe, right on top. The other mm-hmm. Hartman. For um, Riley, I think Riley Zimmerman. That's um, not one you see too often. And obviously, Underhill's tab, who I'm very interested in. But I'll let you go first, my friend. What'd you like most about T Burns? Yeah, I, it can kind of be you know reflected with our picks. This race is you know pretty wide open. Um, mm-hmm. I I landed on T Burns. Um, I just think you know if you if you toss that last race, I I don't think the horse wants any part of six and a half. Um, he was also you know favored in the last two. Um. But if you kind of toss that last race, you, you look at the the three numbers before that, and that that fits you know pretty well in here. Um, and you can see he's shown the ability to you know hold on to the lead in uh, in hot paces. 
Uh, and then, sorry, no, Ramsey Zimmerman is the jockey. I want mm-hmm. to apologize to everyone out there. It's Ramsey Zimmerman, but continue, Noah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then um, at Churchill uh, at the end of September, uh, he kind of showed a little bit of a different dimension where he came off of it uh, into a slow pace. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of thought that a lot of these races that w- we covered, they've got a lot of speed. Uh, yeah. So it was, you know, very rare to, to try and find a horse that could pass. And maybe this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, look, you, this horse has shown the ability to rate, although with that 127 early time form, easily could be one to go as well. Just going through the field, I mean, the one's not slow. T. Burns has 127. Underhill's tab is not going to be there, but Holmstead with the 106. Icing with 118. Dust Dancer with 97. Um, not a whole lot of late pace either. Like, there's just a lot of horses that want to go in a spot like this. So if T. Burns replicates this race, granted claiming 40,000, but this rating race could definitely be one there for sure. And that leads into why I like Underhill's tab a lot, which I'm sure why uh, you landed on him, Noah, a lot. You could see a lot of blue numbers for Underhill's tab, granted at Fairgrounds and at Churchill over the fall here off a layoff. Just never really has gotten pace to run into in a lot of these races. And the fact that that is, I think, really benefits Underhill's tab for Medina. Um, second off the long layoff or third off the layoff for Medina or second for Medina, third off the layoff. I just think that this horse can finally get some pace to run into. And with what's most likely going to hopefully be five, six to one, somewhere in that range, I think Underhill's tab is going to be a little bit overlooked in a spot like this, just based on the finishing lines. We haven't, you know, we saw 91 at fairgrounds last winter. Hasn't really shown that, but has been on the improve this year. Since coming back from that layoff, and I think with a little bit of pace to run into, I think Underhill's tab could be very live come Saturday. But again, this race is probably the most wide open out of the entire um, thing. Noah, do you want to touch on anyone else before we move on? We kind of touched on everyone else, but uh, B-Sud is a horse you have in third. Kind of a little bit of a longer shot, but another one that kind of likes to pass and hasn't really showed it, shown it in the recent times, but could be one with a good setup. Yeah, this is a horse that, you know, really likes to finish third, and that's why I've got him in third. Yeah, as you um, can see up here, 10 one, yeah. one, six. Yeah, um, and, you know, he's he hasn't won at Oakland, but he's uh, all three times he's ran, he's finishing yeah. the money. Um, I just thought, you know, it was it was an optimistic spot um, off the claim for Ortiz. Yeah, um, we'll show that too. Yeah, he, uh, it looked like that that last race at Keeneland was pretty live. You know, the, the third-place winner came back to win. Um you know, just uh, an interesting, you know, when you see uh, a horse, you know, claim for 62.5 and then, you know, bring him back for such a big purse. Um, like and you said, I, I don't know if the, the horse is necessarily uh, going to be able to win. Um, but proving by what he's done in his life, he could probably run third. <laughs> hey, 60%. If I was a gambling man, 60% would be pretty good odds to run third. But Ortiz isn't that good off the claim, but a very optimistic spot and an equipment change to put blinkers on this horse. I just, you know, optimism aside, you're going to get a good price on B Suds. So to run third or somewhere underneath in your exactas and tries could be a good spot for the 11. I'm going 495. Noah's going 3411. Patrick's going 1059. And Charlie's going 9105. Guys, we're going to switch over right now to race number eight here. And again, this is another main special weight or a main special weight, excuse me, but for $115,000. Again, just another huge field, full field of 12 with an also eligible in there as well. Morning line favorite is surely going to be the number four 
orange Diablo for Martin Juan and Brad Cox. I I would eat my shoe, I guess. I probably shouldn't say that on the air, but if orange Diablo is not the favorite, I would be very, very surprised. Um, and then underneath, you kind of get a little bit, um, a lot of variation here. As you'll see, there's not a lot of variation from us, guys. There really isn't. Um, most of us are all 4'11", except Patrick, my friend. Patrick going with the coach, D. Wayne. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's the up north. That, that That's East Coast bias, maybe, for D. Wayne. But um, look, I have him I have him in third. I, think, I don't think you're that far off. What would you like most about Tornado Road? Well, I mean, you can't look past the uh, $1.1 million purchase. Um, I, yeah. I, I just think right there alone that will open up your eyes a little bit and catch your attention. Um, and, you know, I look at on debut at Saratoga, you know, I mean, we all know that, you know, they love to run the two-year-olds at Saratoga. You know, that's where they like to break their maiden and stuff like that. Um, and I just think that, you know, this horse has had steady works and is going to put on the blinkers. Um, I think. I'm going to just go out on a limb and think this horse is going to be ready to run and run to somewhat worth of that, what that purchase was. Um, well, and that's what you hope, obviously, connections-wise, too. Yeah. So, listen, do I think um, Orange Diablo will be tough and will improve? Yeah, that's why I have the horse second. But um, I, I could see a, a big jump for the two, Tornado Road. And, um, you know, the trainer and jockey are solid. And I, I, I just something i uh, think this horse is gonna run big and i'll tell you what that's not i mean even though he finished off by 40 lengths this Look is not winner. a very bad um company yeah. to come out of obviously locked winning by seven and a quarter and drum roll please please ran pretty good in the remsen behind um the horse i mentioned at the beginning of the show door i can sierra leone you know that maiden race was very live and the fact that this horse has has gotten time off has gotten time to mature. D Wayne's never horses never really work that fast anyway, so the works don't necessarily bother me. Um, and uh, checking this, there's a reason why this horse, you know, is 1.1 million dollars. There's all these horses have sold for a lot. Caribbean Caper was the um, the first, I believe, out of the progeny, and this horse was won by six in the Dogwood at Churchill in the fall of 21. And then hasn't won since, but you look at this running line, guys. I mean, one by eight, one by four and a half, one by four and a half, one by one in the Auburn uh, and Oaks, and then one by six in the Dogwood. You know, and look, after that, 600,000. This horse was had three wins of nine starts, um, winning at fairgrounds and going from there. Dixie Tapsold for $990,000. We haven't seen her for Asmussen since. The spring meet or the end of last meet at Oakland Park, and then obviously Tornado Road with a $1.1 million. So, all these horses are going for a lot of money, and two of them have been pretty decent runners. So, Tornado Road could take a big step up after getting a little bit of time after that Saratoga race to mature. But, um, so I don't disagree with you by any means. No, I'm gonna go to you here. We're gonna talk about Orange Diablo pretty quick. I mean, look, easily, um, the best on the field in numbers wise. Could continue to improve a little bit, you know, low 80s, maybe even mid 80s for a horse like this. I mean, that it, that could easily be enough to win this race. Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, you know, uh, I I don't know, you know, how good Brad Cox is stripping to Oakland, uh, but just well, the fact that it's right now, uh, continue. Yeah. Also, I was uh, the the fact that you know 
Patrick started bringing up the D Wayne Lucas horse. I I'd be kind of interested to see how he is at Oakland too. Um, but you know, since there's not, you know, much going on right now, um, bad, for Brad Cox. A... bad for Brad Cox, but normal Brad Cox things winning at 23% <laughs> and 57% yeah. in the money. So, you know, about, about as normal as he does kind of everywhere else. Yeah. Just the, the fact that he's coming, you know, for a $115,000, you know, maiden race, uh, and the horse gets a work in too. And, and like you said, just kind of showing that natural improvement, um, you know, without the DQ dominated, you know, first out yeah. and then just couldn't quite get there a second time. So I, I just think he's going to be really tough. Yeah. And I mean, I won't have to say add anything onto that guys. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward why this horse is going to be a deserving morning line favorite. And obviously if he comes from the back again in a race where there looks to be a lot of pace on orange, Diablo could fit right in to that narrative. Charlie, I let you touch on a horse that a lot of us, actually all of us have in the mix. First time starter for Asmus and a gun runner, two-year-old imperial gun ridden by of course his son keith but work tab's really good and obviously what'd you like most about imperial gun yeah i mean the works are positive i guess because it's an asmussen and cost so much i shouldn't be that surprised that other people had the same pick as me uh for me everybody who watches this show knows that this is normally how i roll you know when you have these maiden races with a lot of horses that have weak figures i'm usually the one more than anyone on the show to try to throw a first time starter a bone and i will say there's a few races where I picked a few first-time starters that ended up at longer odds and ended up getting the job done to win. So it's been working for me in the past. I'm going to stick with it. I mean, look, the reality is I think uh, obviously the four is the horse meet Orange Diablo and should win. You know, again, as you guys touched on, got DQ'd winning on debut. Uh, you know, I think with the pace that we should get and with the figures and the added distance, I think everything should work out for Orange Diablo. And for me, I just didn't see any other horse with experience I get. Patrick's horse certainly could be intriguing, but there was no horse with experience that really did anything for me. So I was like, look, if anybody could upset the horse that should win, obviously the biggest wild card is going to be one that's never run before. And, you know, again, going for that much money out of gun runner and working as Ford Lee's and Piero Gun is for Asmussen certainly is the horse, in my opinion, that to consider. Well, and I'll tell you what, you know, you go to siblings here and look at all of these, all horses have not really necessarily won per se. Um, but look at these runners, global stage for Cox. Pratt took the mount of Keeneland in the spring. Hasn't been seen since, but 87-88. Go down Miss Ava's Union for Baltus on the West Coast. Runs an 88 breaks maiden at going six furlongs at Del Mar. Communication memo uh, broke um, broke his maiden going a mile, but ran well at six and a half, only losing by one to Corona Bolt. If you know that name, that's a very good name to be behind. Um, just very good runners out of this mare. And obviously being a gun runner Colts out of a mare that has produced runners like that is not something to be taken too lightly. So I'm very interested. I like the outside draw for Imperial gun as well. Um, real quick. I'll touch on one more horse here. Dutch mills. Uh, Paul Conlon says Dutch mills has a shot. I don't disagree with you. This is kind of the same type of um, narrative as the number two, right? Tornado road, a horse that ran in July at Ellis didn't run a step, but look at this mate. This is another main race. Timberlake. I won the champagne second in the hopeful, obviously, and then ran fourth in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. West Saratoga came back, broke maiden at Ellis Park after that race, then came back to win the Iroquois at Churchill. Didn't run very well in the Breeders' Futurity, but still. And then Can Group obviously went to the turf, but still broke maiden at Kentucky Downs and won the Bourbon at Keeneland at a massive price. And car even Cartrick underneath Dutch Mills came back again on the turf, but still came back to win 
at Colonial. So another loaded maiden race with a horse that's been given a little bit of time to kind of, you know, fill out <laughs> and stuff like that. So Dutch Mills is definitely not out of the question either, Paul. I don't disagree with you by any means. This race is just, there's many, many different ways that you can go. I'm surprised we all landed in the same spot, honestly. I'm going 4-11 to, Noah's going 4-11 to, Patrick's going 2-4-11, Charlie's going 4 11 Three and three and the three horse, Charlie. I'll touch on a little bit. You can touch on a little more at the end if you want. Uh, but we got to move on. Speed tail. I maybe it's the Ingrid Mason connection, Illinois legend Ingrid Mason, Arlington legend Ingrid Mason. I should say, just an improving horse coming out of. I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of masteries. I've gone on the record saying that before. And um, the horse hasn't really, uh, the horse has been working pretty well, but last time was a big step out and an off the turf race. So maybe it can continue to improve off that number, but it almost seems like if, la- well, in 62 to one last time, but if they, if he ran really well last time, why I'm not sure why he couldn't win there. Maybe the cutback in distance could be, or I said, no, it wouldn't be a cutback because this would be a two turn mile instead of a one turn. So um, definitely would be one to look out for, especially if he's taking money guys switching over to race number nine here this is the co-feature on the card this one is for the phillies instead it is race number nine the mistletoe stakes going a mile for again one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and this draws a full field of 11 again just fantastic fields at oakland park and there's again this is another whole race where there's a lot of different ways you can go misty Vale is one for maker who's um definitely has some back class Ever effortlessly elegant for Norm Cassie. Brittany Russell has one in here with Saddle Up Jesse. Ice Orchid for John Ortiz and Ricardo Santana, who, as you'll see, kind of gave my pick away there. I'm going with the number 10. Pat Noah's also going with the number 10. So is Charlie. But Patrick, riding the odd man out train tonight, that's for damn sure. Um, going with the number four, lovely ride, as I mentioned. Uh, Christian Torres takes the mount. What do you like most? about the number four lovely ride yeah defending his title in this uh mistletoe yep. stake um you know coming off a long layoff which is a little bit um you know does scare me a little bit but um listen i i just think um this horse is gonna show up in this spot um and be ready to go um you know i know uh or you can confirm that um deodoro is suspended so this really is just his assistant i believe if yes, it is. If, that is correct. Yeah. Sean Williams is just is the assistant underneath uh Robert uh, Robertino. Yeah. It's this Yeah, it's so place. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna look at that as a knock at all. Um, you know, the horse is, has shown consistent training um looking back. So, you know, should be in good form. Um, and, and I think I'm gonna get a good price. And the horse probably will have to be on or near the lead because that's where it's done its it's winning. Um, but has faced you know, decent competition has faced yep. multiple in here, uh, multiple runners in here. So uh, I think this is a competitive race, and I hope this horse can run back and win uh, this race that it won last year. And I mean, look, defending champion, I've I zoomed it out a little bit so you could see. I mean, ran second to Amore and laid beat Leda Vida by almost three lengths in that race. And Leda Vida has come back with a very good uh, camp, um, three year old campaign. Ran ran well, I believe, in the um, the distaff, but. And then in the Azari, obviously set the pace the whole way, but losing to Clary Air, Secret Oath, and Interstate Daydreams, no bad company to be in at all. Tried her out in the turf last time at Lone Star. Didn't do nearly as much running as she had previously. So get some time off. 
um, has been working forly at Remington. Lovely Ride's definitely one. I have been second. Noah has in third. I think Lovely Ride, if anyone on the lead has a shot, I think Lovely Ride definitely fits that narrative. Um, Noah, I'm going to go to you here next. Or actually, Charlie, I'll go to you next here. We'll talk about our top pick, uh, Ice Orchid, just a very forwardly um, running horse for John Ortiz and Ricardo Santana picks the mount back up. Um, had it from or Leperu had it last time, but picks the mount back up. I mean, look, just looks to sit a very good trip in this spot. Um, the outside draw doesn't necessarily concern me, albeit um, it is going to be a um, it's going to be a long run up a backstretch anyway, so not too concerned. But what you like most about Ice Orchid? Yeah, you know, honestly, the post doesn't concern me either. I completely can, you know, understand and I'll touch on for another one of my horses, you know, the concerns with Ice Orchid. Obviously, this horse has been bet down in just about every race. You know, the horse lost a lovely ride. The horse lost to Coastal Charm, who is a horse I have underneath. But for me, honestly, my angle is just I like the distance. I like the way this pace will set up. I think Ice Orchid is kind of taking a step forward again. You know, you see the horse kind of built up to, you know, that 89, 86 range and then seem to start regressing with that 80 and 83. Not that it's a terrible regression, but enough where you start to wonder, again, with a horse that's now four years old, not that that's old, but certainly at an age where if you start to see declining numbers, you could get a little nervous. Uh, but then, you know, rebounds with a nice win going away in, in a race where surprisingly the horse wasn't favored, uh, winning by, you know, almost four lengths against a horse uh, that came in second and ended up winning next time out as well as Chop Chop. Uh, then, you know, ran back against that horse and ends up losing by a head, just couldn't quite get there in time. Uh, picks up Ricardo Santana, who was on the horse for a lot of Ice Orchid's best efforts, which for me is certainly a plus. Uh, and again, yeah, I just I like the consistency. I like that Ice Orchid seems to be trending again in the right direction. And I just like, again, the trip perspective. You know, Ice Orchid's not going to be, you know, first, probably not going to be right on the lead, but also should be able to sit just behind the leaders. And ideally, you know, with that longer stretch, as you've talked about, uh, we'll have enough in the tank to, you know, go by Lovely Ride and anyone else that's right on the lead, uh, you know, finish strong and get the win. I uh, don't know what the value will be, but I think if anything, maybe the gate could maybe get us a little sneaky value that we don't deserve on that horse. No, I'm coming to you next. Ice Orchid, you also have on top. There's one big thing that I really like, especially with this horse's running style. Um, I want to see if you touch on it before I kind of talk about my, my, why my reasons. Yeah, well, Charlie pretty much touched on it. Um, I don't know. I don't think the post will be too much of a concern. Uh, I feel like there's quite a bit of speed who's inside. So, you know, uh, Santana can, can let uh, her go uh, or can let the others go. And then she, he can get her to tuck over. Um, the thing uh, for me was, uh, you know, two back uh, beat scratch cat. And then in the last race uh, just got run bound by scratch cat. Um, uh, but uh, ice orchard was, uh, you know, three, three and what is it, three and a half lengths clear of the rest of the field. Um, and, and what you're probably going to say is, you know, uh, with, you know, to that, that speed to the inside, um, if Santana is able to tuck her in, you know, save some ground, I, I think uh, she could, you know, she's probably a, a more logical, but I, I think she's, you know, probably very likely to get it done. I, well, I'll tell you what, I do like the rating aspect. She has shown it in the past. Um, especially um, at Churchill at Keeneland, but um, has shown it at Oaklawn as well. No, the cutback is my favorite angle with a horse like this. You see this running line right here. She made a huge move on the turn and just got run down at the end. That was a mile to 16. Now cutting back to six and a half might be too short, but just being that she might be able to rate a little bit more, have a uh, maybe a bit sit more to the mid pack, kind of too wide 
is my hope maybe like sixth in the sixth seventh eighth kind of range and just being able to fire up on the outside which you generally is the best running line at oakland park i just really like the cutback um Super Saver has done well with this kind of angle before. Ricardo picks back up the mount, who's going to be aggressive with Ice Orchid. I just, there's many different things that are pointing me that I think ice, this is going to be Ice Orchid's spot to run in. But guys, um, we're going to go pretty quick here. So, Noah, anything else? You have the number seven, I believe, who's ever effortlessly elegant for Norm Cassie. I mean, this horse is just working like a bullet. Anything quick you want to touch on? Um, on effort, effortless, effortless. Oh my God. Okay. Just talk about it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, this Cassie trainee, cause I'm not going to try and say that name, uh, yeah. has been working very well, as you can see, uh, with the bullet on, uh, December 3rd. Um, I just think, you know, Cassie tried to go the two turns. I ultimately think Cassie thinks that this is a two turn horse. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried about the last race. You know, she was, three to two and, and lost by five. But I, I think that was a race just to kind of get her back into things. And, you know, another horse uh, that I, a thing where I've been kind of keen in on is a horse that likes Oakland, you know, is, you know, two for three. Uh, and the only race that she lost was uh, she was actually nine to two uh, in the honeybee and, and didn't run well, but that was, you know, against wet paint who uh, was later favored in the uh, Kentucky Oaks. So, you know, a horse that's uh, slow on paper, but I, I, I like the direction that Cassie's going with the horse, and you're probably going to get a pretty good price. Yeah, I don't disagree with you by any means. And um, Patrick, real quick, I'll let you touch on, you have the Brittany Russell horse. Just real quick, any quick thoughts before you move on? Yeah, listen, this horse is going to ship in from uh, from Laurel and has run ran a nice race, um, was odds on in that spot. And I think they're, you know, thinking tougher, and this horse can face tougher, and I don't see why it can't. Uh, so I gave this horse a, a small look underneath. Yeah, don't disagree with you by any means. We'll sit a good trip. Can rate, can be up close, very versatile. Um, and obviously Franklin Arietta will have this horse exactly where Brittany Russell wants as draws the five post. I'm going 10-4-2. Noah's going 10-7-4. Patrick's going 4-10-5. And Charlie's going 10-5-6. Guys, switching over to the last race on the card as I switch it over now. Is another four hundred and forty thousand dollar allowance race for three olds and up going six furlongs on the dirt, full field of twelve again with an also eligible in there as well. Morning line favorite guys. This is another one where you really aren't going to be a hundred percent sure on who's going to take favoritism, but I'm going to um, real quick going to go to race number ten here. We're all pretty similar. We all have the eleven or the twelve in a spot like this. Um, we all have Patrick and I have the 11 on top while the other two have nowhere. Um, Noah and Charlie have the 12 on top. I have the 12 in second. Patrick has the 12 nowhere. So we're basically, it seems like it's going to be the 11 or 12 according to us in a race like this. Um, let's see. I'm going to go over. I'm going to go to you, Charlie, first, because you have the number 12 on top with Noah, but um, I'm going to switch over the PPs right now. It's taking forever. I don't know why. So what do you like most about the number 12 spend Benjamins? I mean, for starters, obviously, outside of how talented the horse is, with that name alone, if you're a gambler <laughs> and you're not putting this horse on top, I honestly think you lose all credibility. Um, I mean, spend Benjamins is just the best name in the entire sequence. So I feel like you have to put at least a few Benjamins on this horse. Uh, but, you know, on a more serious note, I mean, look, the figures certainly fit. You kind of see this horse. Again, we, I've kind of touched on a few other horses I've liked 
throughout the sequence, you know, has those high 70s, low 80 numbers. You're kind of wondering if that's all this horse has to offer as a four turning five year old at that time. And then all of a sudden, you know, freaks with an 88, you know, a 21 figure increase, loses by a neck. Uh, 31 to one has a little bit of a reset and then comes back to Churchill Downs and runs two great efforts. I understand that the horse hasn't quite been getting it done and seems more of like a horse that's in the money, but I just, I like the form trending forward with Spen Benjamins. Um, I kind of, I also think like from a pace perspective and a trip perspective, I think this will work out really well. Um, I, I, I don't, the six furlongs doesn't worry me because again, as you touched on with the longer stretch, I think that Spen Benjamins can close in. Uh, again, the gate doesn't worry me since this is more of a closer. I think Spen Benjamins can kind of get moved towards the inside and save some ground. And I mean, again, you look at Churchill two back at six furlongs, even though the source is a closer, runs the best effort to date and just missed. Um, so again, I just think honestly with saving distance and getting the right trip. And again, with the figures moving forward, um, I really do think Spen Benjamins could get the job done. And also last time out was off slow. So I think again, with a cleaner break and uh, getting moved more towards the inside to save ground, I think Spen Benjamins at decent value could win this race. Don't disagree with you by any means. Obviously I'm interested. I have the horse in second and, um, Patrick does have the horse. He sent it to me wrong. He has the 12 and third, which, um, I mentioned he didn't have the horse anyway as the horse in third patrick to you my friend we have the number 11 gun flash this is one i think we might get a little bit better of a price on than we think um one of those kind of tactical sitting horses last time went to the lead i think just because realistically it was the best horse in the field by a pretty wide margin coming over to oakland gonna have to see if he classes up from remington park but i think he's gonna have the trip to do it yeah, and you stole – I mean, I put tactical speed in all caps when I was making <laughs> my notes because, like you said, last out, you know, I hate to say exactly what – take the words out of your no. mouth. But I mean, the, the horse the horse pretty much – they knew how much better the horse was and they showed it, and the horse proved everybody right just going to the lead. And, and then, you know, the last two, you know, it just was – they were just interesting races. Um, but I, I look back at the, the the ones where the horse went back to back and just it was impressive coming from off the pace. So that's why I think this horse is going to sit a great trip. Uh, trainer Carl Broberg is uh, fantastic when a horse wins um, off its in its next start. Um, I, and I, I like you said, I think we're going to get a good price with uh, Christian Torres aboard. And I think this horse from the outside is going to sit or, sit perfect. I would, yeah, the mid flight, that type of place, so, you know, very much. A lot of tactical speed in a horse like Gunflash, but anywhere towards the middle of the pack, I would be very happy with that spot. No, I'll go to you last here. Um, I'll let you touch on you have the number one, don't wait up um, for Hernando Garcia again and Emmanuel Esquivel. And then you have the number six, who I believe is. Uh, God, is that is this the horse that you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. Nope, no chance. Uh, you can say it. Uh, what'd you like most about don't wait up and obviously go into the six? Yeah, so uh, I've got Don't Wait Up in second. Um, typically, I'm you know not really uh, you know inclined to pick a horse that you know pops a, a big buyer top, um, but I think you know maybe he's just really good right now, um, and I think he's going to sit a pretty good trip, uh, probably just off the lead, I would assume. Um, and then, uh, well, you guys you got the one in, in second as well, so you're thinking similarly. And then I've got the six uh, uh, for Asmussen because I'm not going to try that name. Um, <laughs> Who, uh, Lamuna Nadi, yeah. Oh, wait, Lamuna, um, we're calling it Lamu, but go ahead. No, yeah, I I think Lamu could probably be the speed of the speed in here. Um, 
you know, you know, you're never sure about a horse shipping from Remington, but you know, you always got to respect Asmussen. Uh, another horse that's, you know, done pretty well at, at Oakland two for seven, uh, on the win end and, and he puts, uh, his, his kid on. So, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, I, I think it's probably the speed of the speed and, you know, maybe, maybe he gets loose. I would say I was, ran very well last year at Oakland, granted at the claiming level, but still those two races are not to be oversighted. And, um, I'm, I'm assume it's like Illuminati would be my guess on why this horse is named like that. But, um, there's one thing, don't wait up. Oh, no, it was the Hernan Garcia angle that I didn't like shipping. And this horse hasn't worked since this race. Ran a bullet at Indiana at 47 and then ran at Churchill and hasn't worked since. So, I mean, maybe that's by design just to give that horse a little bit of a break. But that was an interesting point that I wanted to point, bring up as well. And Manny Esquivel, I mean, very good rider in the Midwest and East Coast now ships down to Oakland Park. Um, I haven't seen, I don't think he's on any other horses. I think it might just be this, this one, which is very interesting. Um, maybe he's part of the, the comments. Uh, if you guys know, please let me know, but maybe he's coming down for this horse, which obviously would be a big point up, but the 94 also is kind of one that came not out of nowhere. Cause he's run low eighties, but that's a very high number and not working since would be a little bit of a weird thing to take on a horse that looks to be a little bit of a short price, but guys, we're going to move to best bets here. I'm going 11, 12, seven. Noah's going 12, one, six. Patrick's going 11, one, two, 12. And Charlie's going 12, one, seven guys going to switch over to best bets here as we move into the, or as we're going to move into the football portion of today's show. Patrick, you're going first, my friend, as I have you on top here, you are going race six, double. You're going to see actually some pretty funny similarities here. Um, between a lot of us uh, race number six you're going with a double six over 510 that's tejano twist of course and race number nine with a win on the number four lovely ride patrick talk about your best bets yeah so you know the early double for our uh, pick five sequence you know Tejano twist i think is going to be uh tough so i'm going to try and create some value there with the uh five uh homestead who um you know is a lightly raced horse but um has been throwing up some nice works and i think is um going to be ready to go as well as the 10 uh, circle back jack who I like in that spot. Um, so I'll play a double there. And then in race nine, um, the four lovely ride, I think I could get a uh, decent price on that horse. So I'm going to place a win bet and uh, those will be my two uh, best bets of the day. I, I look, I love it. No funny. Again, I'll let, I'll let everyone try to note the similarities as we move on. Um, Charlie, I'll go to you next. Cause I want to, I want to leave Noah right before me. Charlie, you're going to go in best bets. are going to be race number six, exact, but an exact a six over one seven. And then in race number seven, you're going to take a double nine with four eleven. Charlie, talk about your best bets. Yeah, look, I think honestly, Tejano Twist, obviously we've all kind of talked about is clearly the horse to beat. And kind of taking a you know similar angle to uh, Patrick, it's just since my next bet uh, was a double in race seven, I didn't want to do a double into a double. So I chose to try to create my value through exactas. Uh, you know, I think it was Noah who was the other one on Osborne with me. I just think is a very interesting horse that has been running well. And could, I don't think will get the upset, but I think is, you know, I think you also kind of touched on Kyle, just could sit that perfect stalking trip, which I said could be the biggest threat to Tejano twist is Osborne getting the jump. But I just think ultimately Tejano will get there in time. Uh, and then also with the seven rivet, just I had to throw in there as the other obvious contender to put underneath. But I think ultimately Tejano twist should win. Uh, and then for my double, you know, we kind of talked about in race seven, 
uh, how Megan's honor is interesting, you know, the horse coming over from FanDuel and, you know, continuously improving and running those big figures. So in a race that is wide open, I completely understand that it's risky. But my angle was kind of, look, I think the next race should just be the four and the 11 could surprise. Uh, but I think I could create a ton of value with that nine because it is such a wide open field that I think I could get a lot of value in a double with that. Uh, and then obviously going into Orange Diablo, who should win the race. Uh, but my angle was, again, you never know what those first time starters. So just in case with the extra value I could get, and especially obviously it's one where you want to see what the actual live board looks like, but have it going into Orange Diablo and Imperial Gun. Yeah, no, look, that's the type. That's the name of the game, obviously, value. And with that, if that nine wins, even though you'll probably have the next two um the two main choices in the next race that nine will still create good value for you. If you can get home, good luck with your best bets. Noah, again, we'd say time and time again, we're pretty similar. Um, everyone's kind of similar race. Number six, double six over three, four race, nine win on the number 10 ice Oregon. Noah, talk about your best bets. Yeah. Patrick's got race six and nine. I've got six, nine. You might have it as well. Um, but race six, uh, you know, we're, we're all over Tejano twist. Uh, that's a lot of weight on Tejano twist. So I, I, I wish him the best of luck. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to double, um, I'm going to double him with, uh, the three and the four, uh, which was a pretty open race by our picks. Uh, I'd like to use half the field in the double, but that's not, you know, yeah. financially smart. Um, so I'm going to, try to stick with those two the three is uh yeah the three uh is for hartman and then uh the four was uh kyle's top choice in the race um and then fast forward race nine um i've got a win uh on ice orchard um i think you patrick had a win on the four uh for diodoro's assistant um but i'm i'm not you know entirely sold uh that horse being you know off that long layoff uh i'm I'm gonna watch one because i don't know where the horse has been um, so I'm, I'm just going to go with, uh, a win bet on the, on the 10 ice orchard. And, uh, those are my two best bets. Say orchard one more time. I'm going to cut your balls off. Uh, no, it's orchid, like orchid tree. Oh. I'm just fucking with you. It's fine. I gelded, I gelded. Yeah. You're going to get gelded in a second. <laughs> That's a good one. Charlie. I like that. Oh. Well, no, you, you know, you may say names wrong, but you are very astute. My friend, I'm very similar into Whoa. what you have. Uh, basically, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It could be bad. Don't don't worry. We'll see Saturday. He's covered but, uh, it with the nine. If, if Tejano Twist loses, <laughs> Tejano Twist loses, guys, we just we suck. That's <laughs> just what it comes down to. We really just suck. Um, I'm singling Tejano Twist as well. I've talked. I've just a horse I've been on for a long time. As you can go back to the podcast we've covered, um, just a horse who always shows up, always has that closing kick, and especially at Oak Lawn, I'm very interested and might play him on a win bet depending on what he goes off at. Six over four, nine. Again, the four is my top pick in the race. Um, I'm going to check the name right now. I can never remember. Underhill's tab is the number four. And then number nine, the Illinois bread. Megan's honor is also going to be a horse that I'm going to look to to create value into that double. And then the race number nine, as Noah touched on, Ice Orchid on the cutback just looks to be pretty formidable if he can sit a good trip. I'm looking for three to one on a horse like Ice Orchid because it is still a pretty wide open race. Um, and he doesn't necessarily have the best numbers in the field at all. But if continued, if he can continue to take a little bit of a step up, um, Ice Orchid would be a very good value play for me at three to one. And I believe Howard, are you on? Um, I believe Howard's on Google Translate right now, <laughs> coming up with Japanese sayings to say to our good friend uh, David, uh, racing downwind. But I'm not. I'm not putting it up on the screen because we don't. 
Google Translate is not allowed in Spanish. And uh, well, I guess it would be Japanese class, but not allowed in high school. Hard. I don't. I don't do. Uh, <laughs> I don't condone the actions. But guys, that is going to wrap up our Oakland conversation for tonight. As we are going to transition into our full college playoff kind of scenario. Obviously, very personal for me, but um, from a betting standpoint, it's going to be a very. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, uh, you're funny, man. I love it. Um, but yeah, thank you guys all so much for watching our horse racing segment on Oakland Park this coming Saturday. And again, if you are watching this on a replay, comment below the video player your opinions and like and subscribe. Please like the video. It helps us out a lot. It's the be- liking and subscribing is the best way to support our channel. So again, please go below the video player and do that. I'll show two pick fives before we go. Michael Austin, big man ticket right here. Two by five by six by two by four. That's a that's a big boy ticket. Six seven with one four nine ten twelve with two four five nine ten eleven with four ten with eight nine eleven twelve. But look, Oakland, we've seen it in past time and time and time again. These pick fives can build up. They can get big. So if you're if you have the means to, you can get one of these two prices, you know, a 15 to one or a 20 to one home, and they can really, really boost up this ticket. Mike Lawson, good luck with your band. A pick five play from Japan from racing downwind. One four five six seven eight with five, with four, with two, four, seven, ten, and with one, two, seven, eight, eleven, twelve for seventy-two bucks. Racing downwind, good luck with your <laughs> pick five as well, I swear. Um, these, these guys are giving me crap in the chat to the right side. I won't. We're not gonna. We're not gonna out anybody. But that's what they're freaking giggling about over here. But guys, like I said, we're gonna switch over, switch the um, the conversation over to the college football playoff. And obviously, when the background changes, you know, is when it gets time. So there's a lot of. Very big things to talk about here. And um, we'll talk about this for probably 20 minutes, guys, in the end of the show. Florida State not getting in. And I have a strong opinion on this. Charlie, I know you have a strong opinion on this. I don't know. I'll go to the other guys as well. But Florida State played Louisville over the la- over the past weekend in the ACC championship game. Won 16-6. to At the end of the half, it was 3-0 Florida State on a second quarter field goal. And Charlie, remind me if I'm wrong, but I believe they had like 90 yards of offense, maybe less than that in the first half, like something obscene against the Louisville team that hasn't looked that good all year. They have a, they have three losses now, but they have two, one, a bad loss to Pittsburgh and then a loss to uh, the alma mater of West coast bias himself lost to UK 38, 31, just you know, with and we can talk about it without the quarterback and all this, but Charlie, I'm gonna give it send it over to you here. Just I mean, that just from that performance alone, do you want to see them just go to let's be honest? I'm I'm a Michigan fan, of course, but I would I could see them easily losing by 20 to Michigan if they I mean I I could see them losing, but I mean, if I were the odds maker, I wouldn't make them less than a 13 and a half point underdog against all four teams in this field. But I feel like that's the problem. I mean, look, I talked about this. If anybody follows me on Twitter, I was very adamant about my thoughts about this in our group chat. I predicted it right. Who the four would be. I mean, look, the ultimate debate is very simple. It's do you put the four most deserved teams in there or do you put the four best teams in there? It's really that straightforward. And look, while I would be biased and say, I think Ohio state could be a top four team. If you're being realistic, they lost to Michigan. So you can't, I think Oregon honestly played 
played Washington very tight in two games, but they lost both those games. I think they could be a top four team, but you can't put them in. So I get those two. Even though Georgia is probably a top four team, they lost to Bama, so I get it. The problem with Florida State is if you're going strictly off of the best, they beat up on who, who quite honestly, the ACC is not a power five conference. They're listed as one, but they're, as far as I'm concerned, a mid-major conference. I mean, if you look through that, no one can admit this. Kentucky is a middle-of-the-pack SEC team, and Louisville lost to them. I, I tried while drinking at a party to watch Louisville versus Florida State, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. It was just agonizing to watch. I mean, one of the worst games I've ever seen. The reality is they would get destroyed by every single team. I mean, you see Georgia is probably going to have a bunch of guys opt out because of the draft, and they still open for the Orange Bowl. I don't know if you could pull it up, Kyle, but I want to say they're like a 15-point favorite. And again, this is a Georgia team where they're going to have guys opt out. So imagine if Georgia had their full team and that was a playoff game, for example, and that's a team who didn't make it. The spread would probably be Georgia minus like 20 and a half. Yeah, uh, well, I I agree. I think 12 is terrible, but I I wish it would be eight. But yeah, if we're talking best teams, they got it right, absolutely. Again, as a Michigan fan, I respect you're willing to admit that because the reality is obviously Florida State would have been a bye game for you guys. And instead, you know, you have to play a real team in Alabama. Um, I mean, look, Texas. They deserve to be in. I get it. They played an awful Oklahoma State team. I think the Big 12 is another joke conference. Uh, they beat an Oklahoma State team with three losses who lost at home by 26 to South Alabama and lost by 42 to the powerhouse that is 6-6 six and six UCF. So, obviously, I mean, Oklahoma State's a joke. But, look, they beat them and they beat Bama. They had to get in. Bama beat the best team in the country. They had to get in. I think the Pac-12 was the best conference in the country this year. So, obviously, Washington has to get in. And then, I mean, Michigan won undefeated and beat Ohio State. So, they had to make it. So, I think they got it right. Again, the problem is way in between do you do the four teams that deserve it? Because, yeah, at the end of the day, Florida State won every single game. Or do you go with the four best teams in the country? And ultimately, I think you have to do the four best teams in the country. Because, I mean, you look from a strength of schedule perspective, you know, the teams that all made it, all of their strength of records were in the top 10. But for strength of schedule, I believe the three teams who made it were all like top 10, top 15, and Florida State was like 55th or something because they played all ACC teams, obviously. It's just when you're beating cupcakes every single way. I mean, when your entire schedule is basically Michigan's out-of-conference schedule, you, you just can't make the playoffs. I mean, at the end of the day, unfortunately, and it's I feel bad for Florida State. Like, they did beat up on LSU. I predicted Florida State and Washington their win their conferences, and at the end of the yeah. day with Jordan Travis, I think they could have won it yeah. all. But at the end of the day, he went down. Unfortunately, again, I feel bad for Florida State. They, unlike Michigan, who tries to schedule cupcakes, they tried to make it hard by playing teams like, you know, LSU, and they beat up on him. And I think, I mean, healthy with that great defense, they could have won it all. But ultimately, they lost their quarterback. They started to struggle against teams who could, who lost to, you know, a six and six SEC team. And if you're putting the best teams in, there's no way unbiased any Florida State fan could say they look like a top four team. They look like a top twenty team. I think half the teams in the top twenty five could beat them. I'm so over bro playing one game against Notre Dame and then tell me that Ohio State doesn't schedule cupcakes. Um, hey, cupcakes scheduling cupcakes helped you in the, in your favor. That's correct. I don't I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, Ohio State beats Notre Dame and then they play Arkansas State the next game. I don't I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Um and then get shit on at the end of the year as usual. They get they get shit on at the end of the year as usual. It's just the way it goes as past these past 4 years. Um to your point, Charlie, Georgia opened up as 14-point favorites against yeah, Florida State. And, that, and that's with guys that are going to sit out. Like, that's concerning. I mean, go, Patrick. Go ahead, please. You know, you know what I think needs to be talked about, too, though, is this, you know, you go into Saturday knowing this conversation about the Travis injury and how Florida State, you know, it their, you know, college football playoff committee in their, you know, what they say in their guidelines of how they pick their teams, it says, is your team fully healthy? You know, it, they rattle yep, off a ton that's of those right things. There, yeah. Florida State knew going in that they didn't have their quarterback. They were on their third string quarterback. They had a chance in that game. I and from watching it, 
they could have blew that game wide open and made that point differential three touchdowns, four touchdowns. You know how good that would have looked to the committee? I'm not saying it would have gotten them in, but it would have made it look better. That was an absolute joke yep. of a game, the conference championship game on a Saturday night competing with the Big Ten. It just, in my opinion, all in all, it just didn't end up working out for Florida yep. State. It all just came crashing down, and it sucks. So, you well, know, that, it does. But And that was a point that was brought up, too, is if they would have dropped 49 on Louisville and ran for, you know, and run 500 yards of offense, that's a different story. They ran mm-hmm. under 200 yards of total offense and beat Louisville, a team that lost to Kentucky the week prior. Um, shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're going next, so you better have something ready. But um, it's just the fact that they're not able to put up numbers on teams like that, and they come in and playing, you know, a Michigan team, or they play Washington. You know, it's just – and, again, you're right. It's written in the guidelines. Like, it's not like that just – like, this is the first time they've ruled on this based, based on injuries. It, it's just a thing. And the sad thing at the, at the end of the day is they did everything right. They're 13-0. and 0, They took care of the championship, and they're not in. And that's it's just the sad – version of it but it, it's the way it goes at a lot of these points and committee's got to make a decision on what's going to be the best and what best what are the best four teams in the nation right now and i believe that they landed on the four best and while i would much rather play florida state right now um i think alabama deserves to be in after basically controlling that game over georgia for i mean 50 minutes of that entire game yeah, and I, personally, I don't even think – I mean, I'm, you guys are probably going to disagree with me, but I, I, I don't think Alabama was – I know they're the four seed, so that's you, you would say it was either them or Florida State, but I wasn't questioning Alabama. I Alabama, personally, I knew was going to get in. You win the SEC cha- championship, Sorry, especially with the season Texas. the SEC's had, you're getting in. I think it was Texas. That That's where I really think it was. So, But you can't put Texas ahead of Alabama because they beat them. That's the head-to-head. So, you know, listen, I, I just think at the end of the day – there's four spots for, and this happened to be, you know, there's five power five conferences and all five teams won their conference. that were in the top five and they took four of them and they took the four best. Well, and Charlie, I told you that this was basically like, if you wanted Ohio state to get into a bigger bowl game, like, I mean, look, they're in a good bowl game, but this was Ohio state's nightmare. I mean, they were sitting on the bench. They didn't have any game to play and the teams under them won. And, you know, it just sucks because when it's hard to like, and that's the thing that, why the Big Ten? I think it's just the way it's structured, of course, because you have a six and six team, or you know, making a bowl game out of the um, the Big Ten West or the Big Ten East, excuse me, and uh, or no, the Big Ten West. I was right the first time, and the Big Ten East. It's Michigan, Ohio State every single year, and whoever wins that game gets into the Big Ten championship game, while the other one has to sit on their ass. I mean, and then you know, you get the teams under you winning. Next thing you know, you got to play in um in the Cotton Bowl, but. Look, I think they made the right decision, and we'll go over the next games now. Um, and no, I'll let you go first, as obviously the big SEC guy here um, is that Georgia Alabama game. Just want to touch on these games real quick, guys, and then we'll end um, we'll end the show. But Georgia Alabama, guys, what a I mean, a fantastic game, especially from Alabama early on. I mean, this was all back and forth, but Alabama was in control from the second quarter, basically. Um, Milrose throwing a game for sure, just. Um, getting out in front right here in the second quarter, going into the half 17-7 up on the number one team. Just really good. I mean, like we said, you know, you'll get – if Georgia wins this game, obviously they're in for sure. They're easily the number one seed. But they get beat by an Alabama team that really, you know, people said 
oh, they lost to Texas. You know, they've had some good runs, but, you know, do they really have a chance against Georgia? And they basically controlled the entire game against them. Plus, you know, it's Alabama. It's, you know, are they not going to get into the four seed at that point versus a team that's kind of banged up? But, um, no, I'll leave that to you. But that was just kind of my thinking when they come to this. Yeah, my thought this year is um, the uh, format of the four-team playoff got absolutely exposed. Uh, this four-team playoff is a complete joke, and it should have been more from the get-go. Um, but that being said, I truly believe that the college football championship was that game right there. I think those two teams are the two best teams in the country. I mean, you you got you got Georgia, who hasn't lost a game in two and a half years, and they lose by three in a hard-fought SEC championship game, and you move them down five spots. That that. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I don't think, even though Texas beat Alabama, that's a a week two victory. That means absolutely nothing in the long run. Um, so I, that's you know, that's how I feel. Um, I I think it's one of those two. I'm, I'm, I mean, Michigan on a good gate on a good game could probably compete with one of those two. But it's you know, uh, I'm I'm waiting for this to change. Well, yeah. Well, obviously we could see it uh, coming the bowl game, but. I mean, Georgia hasn't lost a singular game in the past, I believe, three years, three or four years. The only team they've lost to is Alabama twice. They're one and two against Alabama, I believe, 30 and 0 against all the rest of the teams, which obviously is akin to Nick Saban in that Alabama program. But I think they did kind of get a little bit of the harsh treatment there. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, they kind of got cooked in the game. Really, I mean, like straight up. They just really got um, – they kind of got cooked for most of the game. They made a late run in that last quarter but just ended up not being enough, and Alabama now gets into the playoff over them. And I, I just think it was, a, it, was a, it was a committee nightmare for all the teams underneath that ended up winning. Wow, Florida State didn't play that well. Obviously, Georgia losing, and then Oregon getting absolutely destroyed by Washington, obviously barring the late comeback, but they basically got destroyed for 90% of that game. Um, but really a committee nightmare. And the fact of the matter is, you know, they got to take, they have to take someone and even a team that does it all right, you might not be able to get taken, but um, there's just a lot of different games. Obviously the Washington Oregon game was really good. Texas beat up on a D on a not so good Oklahoma state team as Charlie touched on. And Iowa's offense absolutely blows. I, I got nothing else for you. They're their DC, like, DC one coach. They're DC one assistant offense. of the year. Their defense coordinator one assistant of the year. And I actually saw a tweet that was funny. Uh, it was like some Michigan fan, like talking with some Iowa fan thing, basically saying that like when they were at the game, that like an Iowa fan of theirs said as soon as Michigan, like I think scored, like kicked a field goal or a touchdown, like said something about like how the game was over. They had to force OT because they weren't scoring more than that, <laughs> which is so valid. Um, and I do want to address, no, I get that. Since he goes to Kentucky, he's going to have SEC bias. But two things. Number one, this year the SEC was weaker than usual. It was not the number one conference. That was the Pac-12. And number two, we saw the second and third best teams in the country play in that game because the best team in the country is Washington. And it is very clearly Washington. As you touched on, Kyle, before garbage time touchdown, they beat the crap out of a really good Oregon team that I think would give a bunch of teams trouble. As much as I respect the SEC and think they are great, at the end of the day, we're talking about an Alabama team that needed a miracle to beat Auburn, who lost by 31, I think it was, or 21 at home to New Mexico or New Mexico State, which is a team that they paid probably a few million dollars to come play. So not a good Auburn team. We're talking about a Georgia team that beat Georgia Tech, who's garbage by eight. 
We're talking about a Georgia team that, you know, struggled against Missouri, who's decent, but I think quite honestly is extremely overrated and is like a top 18 to 15 team in the country, but only gets a high ranking because they're in the SEC. And as you touched on, Kyle, yeah, Georgia hung in enough. And because they've been good for so long, you had to be like, they might be able to win against Alabama. But as you mentioned, they were not in control at all. As soon as that second quarter was over, I mean, uh, started kind of, you could kind of see Bama running away with it until they came back. And look, to be honest, I mean, again, we'll touch on it as we get closer to the playoff, but all I'll say, folks, is if you can grab Washington at the value they're at right now, I would. I mean, I got, I think the Pac-12 is the most competitive conference in the country this year, which is funny because normally they're a joke. You know, we're talking about a team that beat a great Oregon State defense on the road. They beat Oregon twice. They beat Arizona, and everybody thought it was a joke that they only beat Arizona by like 7, 14 points. And then Arizona ended up becoming one of the hottest teams in the country since that Washington game. So that wasn't a bad team. You know, they have the best quarterback in the country in Michael Penix. Uh, you know, at least out of the four that are still alive, clearly the best quarterback in the country. Their defense is getting healthier and they're starting to play well. They're starting running back just got back. Uh, honestly, I just think they're the most well-rounded team in the country. I think Texas is not going to like playing that pass game. Uh, and I am excited for the defensive battle, though, between Alabama and Michigan, because I do think that uh, Michigan, as much as I hate them, is still a decent team. I just I, I I keep saying this time and time again. I just really don't think Michigan's offense has had the opportunity to shine in a lot of these games. And I'm trying when to speak as, Iowa, as oh, and that's what I kind of mean is like, you know, I'm yeah, trying no, to speak as agree. unbiasedly as possible is Michigan, I think, has a lot better offense than a lot of people are giving them credit for. I just don't think they really have a chance to kind of show what they have. I think J.J. McCarthy is very good. He's very um, he's oh gosh, when I can I can I think of the word? He's very composed. That's what I was trying to think of. He's very composed in the pocket. When he has to make decisions, he generally makes good ones and makes really good throws. They just really haven't had to use them. They've had that great double running attack between Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards that has won them a lot of these games. And J.J. McCarthy just does what he has to do. Um, against Alabama, he's going to have to do a little bit more than that. But I do think Michigan has the opportunity to be able to beat, and they're getting a lot of less respect against an Alabama team that, again, hasn't been shown to be the best Alabama team at all in the past five, ten years. So I think people I think people are just but the Washington disrespect is something I really don't get. Like that you could see and just the nine the, point underdog against like, uh, against Oregon as well. Ridiculous. Oh, I wait, dude. That's a problem. I can't bet here. I like that. Oh, oh, I really wanted that. But I, I was bet. going after people on Twitter about that. They're all saying that they're rightfully favored and they're gonna win easy. And then literally, like you said, until that garbage on touchdown, I mean it was destruction. I don't disagree with you. Patrick, touch on, and then I'm going to give – we're going to go around predictions, and then we'll end the show. But, Patrick – Yeah, well, I'm going to say about Washington, you know, we you know we can make the case Alabama played close games against – you look at Washington's schedule. Did they, they face – most of their games were one-score games, every game. Yep. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, they're a very good team. Don't get me wrong, but they've played in a lot of close games. Texas is going to be tough. That defensive line is really good. And uh, Sark – that offense is pretty good with Worthy at receiver. I, that's going to be a tough game for Washington. I, I really think Texas I, yeah. will give them fits. So I, I think they're just I, two really good games, honestly. Oh, great. I mean, oh, yeah, 100%. You can always say, you know, generous format and all that, but I think they're two really good games. Yeah. Two predictions I want for – or three predictions I want from everybody. I want prediction of college football playoff, like the final, winning prediction – and then Heisman prediction is what I want from everyone. So Noah, since you're to my, since you're to my, technically my right, but I'm pointing to my left. Noah, um, you are muted, but real quick, um, like I said, winning uh, college football final prediction, 
winning prediction, and then Heisman prediction. Um, championship game, uh, Bam on Washington. Uh, I don't want him to win, but I think Bam is going to win. I don't think anybody wants him to win. Um, and then uh, uh, Daniels, the quarterback for LSU. I Yep, I think that's going to be a common theme here. Charlie? Uh, yeah, the Heisman will be Jaden Daniels. It's completely undeserved. He's an unbelievable talent. I don't want to take it away from him, but LSU plays like you're playing my career mode. They don't care about winning games. They just keep him in as long as possible. To my career staff. mode. Uh, you look at Oregon, and they pulled Bo Nix after a six-touchdown first half, while Jaden Daniels against Georgia State, they played the entire game when they were up 48 or whatever. So I, it should be Michael Penix because he wins all the big games, and he's clutch as hell. Uh, and I will all say for the Washington thing, absolutely, they barely beat every team. But at the end of the day, it's can you win and they win those guts of games. Uh, as, in my, as for my playoff prediction, I'm going to take uh, Washington over Alabama. I think Texas is a dream matchup. They played against a terrible Oklahoma State team and let them throw for every play they want. Their defensive front is great, but so is Oregon's. And Washington still found a way through. And I think Michael Penix could, if he wants to, throw for 700 yards against that awful Texas secondary. Uh, and then I think Bama Michigan is going to be a, a physical, brutal game. I think you could argue it's two of the most physical teams in the country. I think that'll be a low scoring game. But I just trust Saban over the cheaters to just find a way without the signs to get it done over Harbaugh. Uh, but then ultimately, Washington hopefully wins it all. And I'll take that. I'll say Can't believe we're still going back to the swell, even after what happened two weekends ago. Patrick, go ahead. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I think Alabama is getting hot at the right time. Um, that quarterback Milrow is getting better and better each week. Uh, that defense, that pass rush is unbelievable. They're, they're just talented on all three phases. So um, I'll take Bama and that one against Michigan, but I do think it'll be a good one. I, I This is a good Michigan team. Um, and then uh, I like Texas against Washington. Um, Sark okay. has a good team this year. Um, and then my uh, championship pick will be Alabama. Um, and then uh, my Heisman will be Daniels. I, I think Jane Daniels is pretty much going to be the Heisman. I think oh, yeah. it's kind of decided at this point because obviously you can't judge off of playoff time. You judge off of regular season. I think Jane Daniels pretty much has it almost locked up at this point, but I, I don't care. Michigan, Washington. I think Michigan, Washington is going to be a very good college football playoff final. That would be fun. Um, I mean, I got to go with the boys in blue, of course, but um, it's, it, both anywhere you looked, both these games are going to be very physical. They're going to be very good. Just a matter of if Michigan's offense can take off like I think they can, I believe they can beat a not mediocre Bama team by any means, but one that's been a, a little bit lackluster than what we've seen before. But guys, that is going to do it for us tonight. I really appreciate everyone sticking through this little bit longer show. But hey, we had a lot of good horse racing in Oakland Park to cover for the first 60 minutes. And then the last 20 minutes we did covering the college football playoff coming up. In is it this weekend or is it next weekend? I don't I never can never remember. No, we got we got a long time. Oh no, it's it's the it's, it's, uh, it's January, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's December thirty first. New Year's Day, actually, the first. Jeez, I where I don't know where my time is, but well, anyway. we can make a final prediction right before then because the injuries and who knows. What well, else yeah, no, that's exactly right. But um, like I said, good horse racing, good football to cover. Of course, we have a lot of time now that I know that, but um, it slipped my mind, obviously, but. Thank you guys all so much for sticking with us. Greatly appreciate it through episode 52. For my co-host, Noah Maher, Charlie Freeman, and Patrick Kunsel, the old gangs back together again. This is your, your host, Kyle Roscoe, in episode number 52, covering Oakland Park and the college football playoff. Stay safe, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye.